Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Even before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the prices of food commodities like wheat were near all-time highs. Since the outbreak of armed conflict, these prices have soared even further. Ukraine is a major exporter of key food staples around the world. In all, the Black Sea region is a breadbasket, responsible for about 12% of all calories traded in the world. So what impact is this war having on global food supply, food prices, and food security? I put these questions and more to Joe Glauber. He is a senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute in Washington and formerly the chief economist at the United States Department of Agriculture. We kick off our conversation discussing the role of Ukraine in global food supplies prior to the Russian invasion and then have a longer discussion about the implications of this conflict to food prices and food security worldwide. This is a very helpful and clarifying conversation with, frankly, one of the world's experts on the economics of global food supplies. And we recorded our conversation live on Twitter Spaces on Thursday, March 10th. If you're ever interested in participating in a live taping of the podcast, please just follow me on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. But there's no need to do so. I record all of those conversations and publish them for you, the podcast listener. Thanks. And as always, if you have a question for me, comments or suggestions of anyone you think I should interview or a topic you think I should cover, please do feel free to reach out to me. You can contact me using the button on globaldispatches.org. All right. Now here is my conversation with Joe Glauber of the International Food Policy Research Institute, IFPRI. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That area of the world has has been a traditional breadbasket dating back centuries. Um, but particularly in the last 30 years since the breakup of the former Soviet Union, uh, Russia, Ukraine have have emerged as dominant suppliers uh, to the world wheat market. They're important suppliers to the maize market. They're important suppliers for other feed grains such as barley. Um, and you know, in the oilseed complex, sunflower seed, uh, both Russia and Ukraine are big exporters of sunflower seed and sunflower seed oil. Uh, we're uh, a country like Ukraine it probably accounts for about 50 percent of what's uh, exported in the world is sourced out of out of Ukraine. So very, very important. 
And the crisis is coming at a time when uh, food prices generally were higher, even prior to this uh, uh, war. Because of, of like supply chain issues and, and COVID, I take it? No, actually, uh, COVID has been an issue, obviously, for uh, uh, and, and supply chain issues have been a problem. But the real uh, drivers, we've had a number of factors. One, strong demand. Uh, China, for example, uh, which had been suffering uh, because of African swine fever for a number of years. Uh, over the last couple of years, uh, the herds have come back and feed demand has been very, very strong. So China is, is feeding um, uh, feed grains like corn and barley and sorghum and other uh, products to their their hogs and and to a degree poultry and um, uh, as well as protein meal. So where do they get protein meal? Mainly from soybeans, which they import a lot from from North America, primarily the U.S., and a lot from South America, primarily uh, Brazil, but also Argentina and Paraguay. So these are um, we've seen strong demand out of China. Uh, we've had some uh, supply issues uh, in the wheat market, for example, uh, we've had a number of uh, problems last year with the wheat crop um, in in a lot of the major producers in north uh, in the northern hemisphere. Canada and the U.S. had bad droughts, particularly in the northern part of the U.S. Uh, and in Canada. Um, We've also had uh, droughts across the Mideast, uh, so countries like and, and North Africa, so countries like Morocco have seen uh, a sharp reduction in wheat yields this year. And so those those have been problems. And, and on top of that, we've had uh, problems in South America um, over the last uh, few months as their soybean crop was developing. And uh, the, that has been adversely impacted by a La Nina event. And uh, that is that's caused drought. And then uh, so soybean production's off a lot. And um, and then we're coming in with with very um, uh, the, the result is that we were coming into this crisis with the lowest level stock levels for these commodities since back to the with corn and soybeans. You'd have to go back to 2012, 13. That was at a time when North America had a very large drought. Uh, with wheat prices, you have to go all the way back to 2007-8, which was you know a time where we had price spikes in, in the wheat market. Um, and so these are these were tight uh, situation that I think most analysts were looking forward were thinking, well, stocks would be able to rebuild a little bit if we were to get uh, good crops around the world. Um, but instead, of course, with with now with this uh, war, uh, we're seeing one of the major producers to the world. Uh, market. Uh, Ukraine accounts for something like 6% of calories that are traded in the world. Uh, I mean, just just a staggering amount in one sense, uh, all of a sudden being shut off from uh, uh, the world. So, so, I mean, it sounds like layered on top of this already precarious situation is this crisis in Ukraine. Um, where were Ukraine food and, and wheat being exported to? Uh, are there certain regions or certain countries uh, that, you know, prior to the outbreak of war were particularly reliant on Ukrainian food exports? Sure. And and um, that this depends a bit on commodity uh, by commodity. But the wheat in particular, Ukraine supplies a lot to North Africa and the Middle East. I mean, these these countries, wheat is a very important part of their overall diet. 
and import and they tend to import most of their uh, or a lot of their wheat needs or their uh, import need or their consumption needs. So wheat as a percent of, of the overall um, uh, diet is is quite high. And in, in, in countries like Egypt, it's like 20 percent of the calories are are uh, wheat being sourced from uh, from imports. And when you look at the uh, where they are sourcing those imports, a lot of that's coming out of the Black Sea, largely because of the close proximity and in uh, the fact that that again Russia and Ukraine are such large exporters. But they aren't the only ones. Uh, uh, you can go around uh, into uh, Asian markets, uh, so Indonesia, Bangladesh countries export a lot. Uh, wheat may not be the primary uh, uh, cereal for consumption, but uh, people do make a lot of uh, uh, you know eat a lot of breads, particularly uh, if you go across sub-Saharan Africa. A lot of the wheat there is almost all the wheat there is is imported and it's largely coming from uh, uh, or is being made into things like breads that are largely supplying urban areas and everything. So it's a global issue. And particularly when you you consider that these have impacts on on global prices, that it means that wheat prices are high for everyone, not just those who are importing Mm -hmm. Ukraine wheat. So so that was actually my next question. I mean, we are two weeks into this conflict. Have you seen a discernible impact of this conflict on the price of of wheat or other food commodities uh, that are are sourced to Ukraine or, or the region more broadly? Has there I, been an impact? I, I global, if you look at global prices, and I think uh, you know, uh, one measure is futures prices. And granted, futures prices have a lot of volatility in them, but futures prices on the, in nearby contracts are up 50, 60 percent. I mean, they've been highly volatile um, and, and, and very much with big price swings, given whatever new news hits the market that day. But, um, but just to say that, that prices for wheat have been up in the 50 to 70 percent range for nearby delivery and uh, corn prices have been up maize that is maize prices have been up on those futures exchanges by about 20 percent and soybean prices have been up 10 percent and again these are coming off levels which were quite high if you look at the FAO food price index uh, that came out last last week um, that were you know these are prices the the food price index was already at a record level. Now, these are commodity prices. These aren't retail food prices, for example, but but still underlying commodity prices at record levels. So um, it's important. And if, you know, I had talked about wheat, but again, Ukraine's an, an important exporter of, of barley. Uh, they're a very important exporter of corn, most of which goes to the, or a lot of which goes to the EU and China. So, uh, you know, they are Supplying uh, uh, supplies for things like maize and sunflower seed oil in a lot of different areas and that go beyond just the North Africa and the Mideast. I mean, we tend to focus on there because wheat is so important to those countries uh, in, their, in their consumption. But uh, it's just to say that, that, again, this region provides a lot of commodities to the world. And so it's fair to say, as you explained, that thus far, just two weeks into this conflict, we have seen uh, food, you know, hikes in, in food prices on top of already very high food prices. So that's like a very immediate discernible effect. Yeah, that's right. And and I, I should hasten to add that if you look at futures contracts for later in the for delivery later in the year, 
those prices moderate a bit. So mm -hmm. I think people, uh, but but is, they largely reflect just the uncertainty that no one really knows. I mean, the, the big questions uh, in Ukraine, uh, obviously, one is that remember that the crops that were harvested last year have been, you know, a lot of them have been marketed, but not all of it. So in the case of wheat, for example, about 30% of the wheat that was harvested last fall has been has been marketed, or uh, excuse me, about 70% of the wheat that was uh, uh, harvested last fall has been marketed. So the rest is in storage, normally would be exported, but uh, unclear what the status will be with, with the ports uh, currently blocked and uh, a lot of the rail lines, which are key infrastructure for moving grain to the ports also contested and then um for maize it's it's roughly 50 to 55 percent has been is typically marketed by uh, uh february and so again a lot of maize that still has to be marketed sunflower seed oil other things that that and, and we're talking mainly about last year's crop so we're not even talking yet about the wheat that was planted last fall that will be harvested in June, July, um, it's unclear whether or not that will be harvested, whether or not that will be exported. Um, and, and, and let me just add the last thing, in, and then we can dive into this uh, in more detail. But the other, then the next thing, obviously, is spring plantings that will begin in April for things, critical crops like barley, uh, maize, and, and sunflower seed. So if that planting season in Ukraine is disrupted, what do you expect to see? Well, higher prices. I think there's, in one sense, that's the uncertainty that's already being built into the market. Ah, okay. the, uh, you know, the question is, you know, once we, once the market actually realizes what the impacts are, uh, does that mean prices go higher? That's, that's unclear. And I, I, I hate to speculate on that because hopefully this, this all gets resolved, but let's, you know the the reality is is that that uh, uh, again losing a Ukraine crop is not unlike a, a major global downturn in production that we see. And in two thousand seven eight, for example, uh, the the reduction in yields uh, in production that year in the wheat crop was you know similar to the sort of magnitude that that the uh, uh, of wheat that comes out of the Ukraine in a given year. Hmm. But remember that 2007, 8, they actually came in with high stocks. So it, to absorb this, again, I keep getting back to the fact that we start this with a very tight situation. Um, and so this this uh, pulling all this, uh, the, the uh, preventing the, the grain that was harvested last year from being exported and then potential disruptions in the um, current crop will be very, very hard to make up. Um can I also have you explain the significance of fertilizer from Belarus and Russia to global food systems? You know, I take it from reading your research paper that in particular, Belarus supplies a lot of fertilizer to countries in sub-Saharan Africa and that the potential disruption of the export of that Belarusian fertilizer to sub-Saharan Africa could have significant downstream effects on uh, you know, food availability, food supplies, and food prices in certain countries, particularly in, in West Africa. Yeah, no, great, great point, Mark. And, and fertilizer, the fertilizer market, much like the agricultural uh, market, uh, was, was very tight prior to 
um, uh, uh, this crisis. And, and for similar reasons, um, one, we've had very, very high natural gas prices, particularly in Europe, but, but also uh, around the world. Uh, uh, why is that important? Because natural gas is a feedstock for uh, ammonia or for nitrogen-based uh, uh, fertilizers like urea and ammonia. And so nitrogen is one of the critical, one of the three critical uh, 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 fertilizer components uh, that increase productivity around the world. And uh, the other two being, as you mentioned, potash. Uh, Russia is a big uh, uh, exporter of potash. So is Belarus typically in typical years. And, and potassium. And Russia is a big uh, exporter of potassium as well. Russia also is a big exporter of ammonia and natural gas. So you add the, the crisis on top of that. You've seen um, uh, with natural gas prices uh, 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 really uh, going very, very high. And remember that natural gas, unlike wheat that you can ship around the world, natural gas is, is tougher. You really have to move that by, for the most part, by pipeline, although we, there are exports of, of liquefied natural gas. Uh, the U.S., for example, has, has uh, started uh, uh, exporting liquid, uh, liquefied natural gas uh, but those are, you know, those aren't easy adjustments to make. So the the markets aren't as well integrated there or linked in in one sense. So if you look at at natural gas prices in the U.S., they've gone up considerably. But the natural gas prices in the U, EU, for example, have gone up by even more. And I think they're directly affected because of the pipelines from Russia. Um, so. Uh, one other sort of, uh, it seems like, uh, added sort of variable is the impact of sanctions on Russia and I guess to a certain extent Belarus as well by, you know, the United States and, and much uh, of Europe and, and the rest of the world. Have these sanctions had an impact on global food prices uh, to your knowledge or do you expect uh, they might? Well, I, again, I think we have to sort of sort through the level of sanctions and, and what actually is being uh, affected. And, and again, we're just beginning to see this uh, uh, happen. But, but certainly, uh, uh, so, so food is not, food exports, at least to my knowledge, have not been directly affected. The problem that I see that may occur, I mean, I think for a lot of these transactions, um, uh, on, on, for example, for wheat, or, or a lot of transactions are government-to-government -government transactions to countries in in North Africa and other places where you have uh, where I think those purchases can can occur. That that will be less of an issue. But if you're talking about a small milling operation in Turkey, for example, that may be buying uh, flour from Russia, then I think all of this uh, these actions on SWIFT. Uh, payment uh, things, they complicate all those transactions and, and add costs ultimately. So it's a little unclear. I think the natural gas uh, issue and the energy price uh, effects are real critical here. And uh, just in the sense that for for food, we also have to remember, you know, it's not just the price of the commodity, but it also, that commodity has to get shipped. So fuel costs are important. That, that commodity has to be uh, processed uh and so energy other energy costs are involved with that even even the general macroeconomic impacts like labor and other things uh as inflation rates are going up oftentimes labor uh wage rates are as well and so those all add to the overall cost but um the sanctions themselves at least uh, thus far aren't 
aren't directly affecting, um, uh, say, wheat exports out of Russia. What what is worrisome, or, or I think what is needs to be uh, uh, watched very closely, is that countries don't put on the sort of restrictions that we saw back in the uh, 2007, 2008, or 2010, 11, where a number of countries put on restrictions on exports of, of products like wheat. And, and at the time, rice also was, was caught up in, in that. And Why that is that problematic? Well, because it just exacerbates the situation. You understand, you can understand understand it from the, the the narrow view of the the individual country because they're thinking prices are going up we're going to keep that grain home that way price will keep our prices lower uh, at home the problem of course is that that just shorts the market even more and so prices in the rest of the world are bid up even higher and uh, what happens is you often, like what we did in 2007-8, get a domino effect. I mean, the analogy is being at the football pitch when uh, the row in front of you stands up. Uh, You you can't see, so you stand up as well. And that's exactly what we saw in the wheat market in the sense that other countries put on restrictions. That may be great for that individual country, but there are a lot of countries that can't afford to, or that are, are large importers and that they're the ones who are going to shoulder the burden of these, um, these, these sorts of restrictions. And it's particularly onerous for poor developing countries or poor countries who all of a sudden are finding that the price of grain isn't just because of Ukraine, but because of, of, uh, some other country that's decided not to export uh, because they want to keep the grain at home. Well, well, well following on that thread, you know, assuming current trends continue and that prices for wheat and other food keeps increasing, and you know, under the assumption uh, that countries uh, did what they did last time and restrict exports uh, against your advice, uh, what? Like political implications, do you see uh, around the world for you know staggeringly high costs of, of food? Well, I, I you know I think uh, I, again. Uh, so so let's now back up to talk about food prices because food prices aren't agricultural. You know, there, there's there's obviously a dra- uh, an important link between the price of a, of a ton of wheat and what some uh, a consumer pays at the at the grocery store for a loaf of bread but typically the the underlying commodity prices is, is a small portion of the overall price of of food so even though wheat prices may double the impact on on a price of bread may may be a a, a just a, a fraction of that not not insignificant and i don't don't mean to minimize that and a lot depends on whether or not for example if you're in the u.s uh most estimates say that that the price of of the wheat itself is only about five percent of the price of a loaf of bread. So you translating that, you'd see a very only a five percent uh, increase for a doubling of the price of wheat. It's very crude, obviously, and, and a lot more factors there. But but if you're in a developed country, a developing country, that that margin, if you will, between uh, a retail price and uh, um, uh, and the underlying uh, price of of wheat may be much greater. And certainly, we've seen bread prices and else uh, uh, 
and, and, and other sorts of wheat product prices already increase across places like North Africa, which means that uh, to keep prices uh, lower, governments have to intervene with, with uh, price subsidies or uh, consumption subsidies, consumer subsidies that uh, help uh, those because something like wheat and, and bread is such an important part of those diets. So you would expect if uh, the cost of food increase at such rate in order to avoid political instability, countries in North Africa in particular uh, will increase their subsidies to prevent like the consumer from feeling the burden of that. Yeah, I, that, and therefore that's certainly... limit its political impact. No, that, I, and sorry for interrupting. The, yeah, no, that... Mark, I think that's exactly it. That, that, that uh, countries are... Um, what about? Know, there's there's good evidence that we've seen, you know, in, in past episodes where there's been uh, political unrest and other things. So I think countries want to make sure that, that they can absorb that. But that means having resources. And I think that's important to remember. So uh, a, a middle income country may be a lot better positioned to be able to help their consumers than, say, a, a poor country that is highly dependent on 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 wheat. Uh, the, the other thing I would add is that remember that that uh, wheat is largely denominated traded on world markets is largely denominated in dollars. You know, most times when we see in the past when we've seen really um, high prices for commodities, the dollar actually has been tended to be pretty weak. That's not the case this time around. The dollar is very strong against local currencies, so that adds per, uh, additional costs at least here uh, in the short run. Now, currencies can change a lot, but but uh, it, particularly if you're talking about an organization like the World Food Program that's trying to supply grain uh, to to needy populations, that means their bill has been going has is going to go up, and it's going to go up for a number of factors, uh, let alone the underlying cost of wheat, but also transportation costs, other things that um, are really um, important and and uh, you know, uh, at a time when when uh, prices are so high, additional funds are going to be met are going to be needed to meet those needs. That, you, you've read my mind uh, and, and and answered my next question before I asked it, which was to be the impact of uh, these rising prices on global humanitarian operations. You know, places like Yemen, uh, which are you know dependent on you know, the World Food Program and others from using their resources uh, to, you know, prevent famine or places in like southern Madagascar and, and other places that are currently have like acute food emergencies. How might this increased cost globally impact their current and very acute food emergencies? Yeah, no, I, I, Yemen is a great case in point because they are you know, have gone through one uh, uh, a number of years of of internal disruption. They have they import a large proportion. I mean, close to almost one hundred percent of their wheat needs in some years, and yet they have very little resources to actually uh, make purchases themselves. Even even things like flour, which they do import a lot of flour, but remember, the flour that they're importing is coming from mills. Where they're coming from, mills in Egypt or or the Emirates or or Turkey that are also importing wheat from Ukraine. So uh, it's 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 just to say that the the vulnerability that's the particular concern to me is the vulnerability that we're seeing in in um, 
in countries. And, and of course, you can extend that to start talking about availability of fertilizer and other things. Um, I, you know, uh, that because to, to get the sort of production response that one is going to need to sort to try to alleviate this situation, at least in the near to me- medium term, um, you know, the uh, high input cost means that's also a, a, a challenge uh, to increase yields and other things. Uh, and Joe, lastly, in the coming you know months, I suppose, or even weeks, are there any variables you'll be looking towards or indicators you'll be looking towards that will suggest to you um, what we might expect in terms of of food prices? Yeah, I, I think in the near term, uh, the, you know, the, I, as much as I talk about energy prices and um, uh, and other costs that are associated with high food costs, I think the the you know the, most of the focus is going to be on crops, and I think the that so things like any sort of uh, uh, and, and here I'm t- talking basically outside of Ukraine because I think obviously the real focus will be on what what's going on with the the tragedy there and. and um, you know what's what's happening, uh, whether or not farmers are actually able to get into the fields and other and harvest crops and other sorts of things. But if you look outside, then I think that we'll be looking at at plantings around the world to see, you know, what if we're going to see a production response. Typically, we see uh, farmers respond to high prices by planting more. Um, the problem, I think, for a commodity like wheat, however, is the fact that one most of the wheat. Uh, you know, about 60% of the wheat produced in the world is actually fall seeded. So, you know, already what, you know, the, the response that we're looking for in the near term is, is really restricted to spring planted wheats and to a, to a lesser degree, what will be planted um, in, in, um, or I shouldn't say to a lesser degree, but, but what will be planted in the Southern hemisphere in particular, Argentina and, and Australia. So the the plantings will be real important um, that we'll be we'll be looking at as this wheat around the world and particularly or at least northern hemisphere wheat comes out of dormancy in the EU and Russia and and uh, 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 North America uh, the, the condition of that wheat crop will be uh, will be closely followed uh, in the U.S. for example a lot of the uh, winter wheat has been in dry conditions um, uh, for a lot of the winter that isn't as critical as what the next months, couple of months will mean. Uh, so we'll, we'll need to follow that very closely, but that will be one of the key things. And then I, the spring plantings, and then we're right back into looking at crop conditions around the world. And hopefully we're, we will see good weather and, and not have uh, more issues piled on top of this with, with a serious drought somewhere. Uh, well, Joe, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. You're, you're the perfect person to interview. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Joe Glauber for spending some time to speak with me about this very hot topic in the news right now. And I do recommend that folks read a blog post he wrote on IFPRI's website, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.